Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your totally not a witch in disguise host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode includes Hungry Witches, Deadly Houses, and Larry. I'm famished, so let's break into this normal house out here in the woods that randomly has a full banquet left out with no guests. We'll fill our faces and talk about horror movies. Before we jump ship into these delectable horror movies, it's your pal Spoiler Beard. Everything in this episode is a recent release, so here's your blanket spoiler warning for the whole episode. I'm not even sure where I do these anymore since longtime listeners know what's up. But hey, someone new could be tuning in. This is for you, potential new listener. Yar! And away we go. Number one, Gretel and Hansel, 2020, directed by Oz Perkins. Gretel and Hansel have to leave home since their dad is dead and their mom is homicidal. They end up at a witch's house. The witch starts training Gretel. The witch says Gretel needs to eat Hansel to finish her training, but Gretel refuses. She burns the witch. Gretel then sends Hansel away since she herself is becoming a witch. The witch and her daughter are the killers. There's this whole other fairy tale about a girl that is taken to an enchantress who saves the girl, but the girl comes back evil and starts killing animals and people. Sometimes dead is better. The girl in the story ends up being the witch's kid who somehow made her mom into a witch. When your kid kills everything you love and is a malevolent little monster, I guess there's nothing else to do than become a child-eating witch yourself. Gretel and Hansel, which I'll shorthand to Grehan, is a gorgeous movie. Everything looks delightful or delightfully creepy. The witch's house is amazing. Not only is the outside magnificent, but the interior and hidden basement are also jaw-dropping. The costume design is a mix of old and modern that miraculously works. Sure, you could say the young version of the witch just looks like a hip goth girl you'd see drinking a PBR at a sidebar, but she somehow fit right in with the rest of the movie. The color palette is warm and heavy on yellow, which perfectly creates a fairy tale vibe. Another modern vibe is the synth score that's both mesmerizing and eerie. It was done by someone simply titled Rob, and will be something I listen to on its own. The Witch was played by Alice Krieg, who's probably best known for portraying the Borg Queen. She's a perfect fit for the role. Her performance is just the right mixture of warm and unsettling. 
At some points, she reminded me of Lepi from the Leprechaun series, but I think that's because watching all those movies made me dumber. I have a classic case of a Leprechaun brain. Hansel was played by Samuel Leakey, who's fine in the role, more on the obnoxious little cretin that is Hansel in a bit, though. Gretel is played by Sophia Lillis, whose biggest role is young Beverly in the new It movies. She's the weakest of the main cast. Her Gretel is one note. Throughout all these creepy and surreal situations, she barely bats an eye. She comes off as more alien than the witch. She also narrates a lot of the movie, which doesn't seem completely necessary. Being somewhat familiar with the director, Oz Perkins, the narration was probably included to give Grehan mainstream appeal. I haven't seen I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House yet, but have watched The Black Coat's Daughter, which I enjoyed quite a bit. A main criticism I see of Perkins is the pacing of his movies being a bit too slow. Gretel narrating segments of the movie make it feel more engaging than it would if the narration wasn't included. Grehan has its perfectly creepy moments, moments like the enchantress pulling death out of the girl, entrails, limbs, and other body parts of children being transmuted into delicious looking food, and all of Gretel's second sight dreams are wonderfully spooky. Oh, would you look at the time? It's doggone Hansel o'clock. He's the worst. Little idiot can't even hit a giant tree with an axe when he's standing right next to it. He complains all the time. He breaks into the witch's house. All he wants to do is eat and sleep. I mean, don't we all? But you don't get to be an obnoxious little moocher, buddy. The whole reason Gretel doesn't go full on super powerful witch is Hansel. Just eat him. No one will be sad about his death. Instead of killing Hansel, you kill your mentor. Jeez. To be fair, Gretel would have had to eat him. And even after transmuting him into a delicious looking cheeseburger, he probably would have tasted like dog poop. It's a good thing Gretel saved her dumb little brother and is watching over him. Wait a minute. She sent him on his way. This little whiner isn't going to survive on his own. He's 100% going to die. Good job, Gretel. You killed the witch for nothing. Hansel is still going to die. If he's not ripped apart by wolves, some weird Satanist is going to put an end to him. The latter almost happens in the movie. A random huntsman shows up and kills the Satanist to save Hansel. Ugh. Stop saving this kid. Gretel and Hansel is a movie your eyeballs and earballs will love. Check this one out. Number 2, Relic 2020, directed by Natalie Erica James. Kay and her daughter Sam go to check on Grandma Edna. They can't find her. Edna shows up out of the blue looking disheveled. Edna appears to be suffering from dementia. Sam finds a hidden passageway in the attic that turns into a maze. Edna becomes aggressive and starts chasing Kay, who runs into Sam. The two of them break through a wall and make it to the front door. Kay goes back in the house to be with her mother during her passing. Time is the killer. Kay peels Edna. Huh? Kay peels Edna. You said that already. What, what are you talking about? Kay literally peels off Edna's flesh to reveal a blackened skeletal Edna. Hey kids, I'll be back in a bit. It's time to peel grandma. This is a whole allegory for dementia and Kay helping her mom and Sam seeing this realizing she's going to at some point have to do the same thing for Kay, which is haunting. I haven't had any personal experience with dementia. Maybe I should watch The Father since Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar for Best Actor for it and is said to portray it perfectly. 
I have said and would like to be on record saying, when I die, I want to become a beautiful skeleton. Do universities still turn corpses into skeletons to study? That was the thing, right? Even if it's not, clean all this disgusting fleshy material and innards off my beautiful pearly bones when I die, please. There's a horror book called House of Leaves that I've read very little of. The secret, ever-growing attic maze reminded me of it. The set design for the maze is incredible. It's neat to see the worn-out rooms continue on and on in different sizes and orientations. It's kind of like a grungy version of the Escher staircase. Until this sequence, the movie is mostly set in reality. There are a few strange dreams about an old cabin where something awful happened. The cabin and its mystery seemed to be an integral part of the story and a catalyst for what was going on, since after the cabin was torn down, pieces of it were added to Edna's house. Either the whole thing about the cabin was a red herring, or it was dropped without explanation. The acting in Relic is mostly strong. Emily Mortimer works as Kay. Robin Nevin is fantastic as Edna. Bella Heathcote is fine as Sam. Her calm and collected nature in the as far as she knew inescapable otherworldly attic dimension didn't come off as genuine though. You'd expect a certain level of panic from a character that ended up in that situation. There is some very effective, practically done body horror. Edna has a large wound that gets worse and worse over time. She also ends up taking a knife to herself, which is disturbing. The peeling of Edna is an interesting idea, but it came off a bit comedic due to the absurdity of it. Kay hanging out with Skeletal Corpse Edna is a bit too wacky. Still, the horror of realizing what has just taken your mother is also going to happen to you and then your child is powerful. The dread induced from that realization and being trapped in the attic dimension are great. The house and Edna rotting was an interesting way to portray Edna's deterioration. Aesthetic is definitely one of the movie's biggest strengths. Relic is a slow burn that ends with a depressing finish. It's a unique take on dealing with a loved one who's struggling with dementia. It's not a movie that I'd recommend you drop everything to watch, but if you want to watch a horror movie that'll make you sad, consider checking out Relic. Sometimes you just gotta peel your loved ones. Someone's gotta do it. Do you want a stranger peeling your grandma? Number 3, Amulet 2020, directed by Romala Garay. A refugee named Tomas is invited to a house by a nun. He gets free room and board for helping fix up the place. Magda and her mom live there. Her mom is very sick and confined to the attic. Tomas ends up falling in love with Magda. It's revealed that he forced himself on a woman in the past. The nun and Magda are actually otherworldly creatures that were tasked with torturing Tomas for his crime. Tomas kills the mom who is actually another evil man that the nun and Magda had been torturing for his sins. Tomas takes the other man's place. Tomas is the killer. Tomas kills the other guy but doesn't technically kill him in self-defense. He was told to leave the guy alone. The guy was being tormented for killing his children but since that isn't shown he's not on the list. Amulet is a movie with jarring tone shifts. It starts out as this story of a refugee and at the drop of a hat turns into a movie about vengeful female. I'm not sure what Magda and the nun are. They might be demons or angels or a type of deity. 
Whatever they are, they are punishing men who have committed heinous crimes. It is interesting that Amulet at first frames Tomas as the down-on-his-luck protagonist and reveals later on in the movie that he's not a character you want to root for. There are flashbacks to when he was a soldier. The flashbacks slowly reveal information. At first, he seems to save a woman. You know that something is going to happen to her. I assume that Tomaz's fellow soldiers would find and kill her, causing him to have to go on the run for harboring an enemy. But that's not what happened. Tomaz is just a terrible, creepy monster. The whole switcheroo plot is an interesting idea. Make the audience root for someone, then turn against them once things are revealed. But Amulet's pacing makes the twist a jarring mess. Amulet is a slow burn what's going on love story until out of nowhere it flips a switch and decides it's there's a demon in the attic, Magda is some kind of powerful demon angel thing, and Tomaz is going to be transformed into a demon to be tortured kind of story. This is a jarring tonal shift from the first hour of the movie that is a man down on his luck finds a home and falls in love. Sure, there was a creepy hairless bat found in a toilet during that hour, but that was the creepiest thing that happened during what might as well be a romance movie. The effects for the fleshy bat monsters were incredible. They were disturbing and looked like they could actually be real. Creatures in horror movies rarely look like they could be stumbled upon in real life, but I could totally believe this freakish bat creature would confront me in a dark alley in Transylvania. The acting in Amulet is good. Alex Sikaranu works as Tomas, as does Carla Jury as Magda. Imelda Staunton, who's probably best known for her portrayal as Professor Umbridge, didn't really fit with the rest of the cast. I guess the Sinister Nun character is a bit strange to pull off. It would have been better if the character was played a bit more straight, even at the end when all is revealed. She's a bit too hammy when her true intentions come to light. Her vibe during the reveal should have been more sinister, all your hope is gone, unless <laughs> sucks to suck, nerd. It felt goofy. Magda, in her whatever she actually is deity form, looked pretty neat. The design is reminiscent of death in Hellboy 2. Well, at least the faces. I'm a big fan of creature designs that don't have regular eyes and have a large head adornment that's part of them instead. All of the creature design stuff in Amulet looks amazing. It's full of interesting ideas. The pacing and tonal whiplash hold it back. The movie should have ended when Tomas was confronted by Magda in her true otherworldly form, where he realized everything was over for him. The tonal shift from the love story fake out to here's your punishment was sudden, but would have worked if the tone wasn't again shifted at the very end. After the big reveal, there's a sequence where Magda goes to see the woman from the flashbacks that feels like a completely different movie. It doesn't fit in with the rest of what's shown at all. Amulet has some interesting concepts and stellar designs, but is a jumbled mess. I can't recommend it even though there is some cool stuff in there. One last thing on tone, even the credits had a different tone to everything else in the movie. Oh, and I didn't realize an amulet doesn't have to be a necklace until I watched this, so at least I learned something. Number 4, Come Play, 2020, directed by Jacob Chase. Britta has a nonverbal kid named Oliver. Oliver finds a story about a monster named Larry on his phone. 
Larry is looking for a friend and will come take someone to be his friend once his entire story is read. People keep reading further and further into the story. Larry is becoming more and more tangible. Larry tries to kill Oliver's dad. Larry puts out his hand to take Oliver back with him to his dimension. Britta takes Larry's hand. Oliver has made some friends and is doing a lot better. Britta shows that she's able to spend some time in her original dimension and dances with Oliver. No one is the killer. Larry didn't kill Britta, sure he snatched her away from her regular dimension, but she's not dead. She's even able to visit Oliver. Let's start off with a plot complaint. Oliver has a phone. He initially comes across Larry's story on his phone. He then loses his phone. His dad finds an obviously cursed iPad and gives it to him. Oliver should have his first encounter with Larry on the cursed iPad. It's weird that the iPad isn't the catalyst. Instead, Larry has always been chilling in Oliver's screens. Screens are bad. Technology bad. That seems to be the message of Come Play. But the funny thing is, Oliver is a nonverbal kid that is able to communicate with the help of technology. That's a good thing. Come Play received a Fangoria Chainsaw Award nomination for Creature Effects. That's it. Since that's the only reason the movie received a nomination, I tempered my expectations. I had watched the trailer forever ago and decided not to watch it until this idea to watch everything that had received a nomination. Come Play looked pretty similar to another movie about a killer imaginary friend called Z. After watching them both, there are some big differences, but the basic synopsis of Weird Monster is looking for a friend and ends up with an older lady works for both movies. The mom in Z eventually escapes the monster's grasp, though, unlike in Come Play where Britta parties with Larry for all eternity. There are some interesting and creepy ideas in Come Play, like when Larry is hanging out in a parking lot. He's invisible since not much of his story has been read yet, but his presence is given away by some litter that's flying around getting stuck on him. Is anything that happens in Come Play as haunting as the staircase scene in Z? Nope. Should I still be comparing Come Play to Z? Probably not. The movies are different enough. I'll drop it. Larry the Creature has moments where he looks genuinely unsettling. At other times, he looks like a monster pulled right out of an old PlayStation 3 game. Notice how I said 3 instead of 2. It's not great CGI, but it's not the worst. The practical stuff is solid, and some of it was done by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. The acting in this isn't amazing, as he Robertson does a solid job as Oliver, but no one else stands out. Jillian Jacobs plays the character she always plays, which is why I've referred to her as Britta thus far. At one point in the movie, Britta invites kids to come to the house for a sleepover with Oliver. There's a solid five minutes of young boys screaming in terror with no Britta in sight. You're right upstairs, Britta. How are you not hearing this? Were you taking heavy sleep aids on a night where you were supposed to be a chaperone? Also, you don't appear to have a job and your baby daddy works as a parking attendant. How did y'all afford this huge two-story house? It's getting harder and harder for me to watch movies and not notice people living well above their means. Why can't Larry haunt a kid that lives in a two-bedroom apartment? It seems like monsters and ghosts only go after people that are wealthy. Besides Larry, there is another big character in Come Play. SpongeBob. Oliver loves SpongeBob. 
I don't know how Cumplay got the rights, but they remind you every couple of minutes that they did. SpongeBob is constantly shown or referenced. Larry even gives Oliver a yellow sponge as a gift. Larry is an interesting name for a monster. It's kind of welcoming. I feel bad for Larry. He wanted to hang out with his best bud Oliver forever, which Oliver seemed into, but at the last minute, Britta grabbed Larry's hand, so he's stuck with her now. Would you rather be alone forever or stuck with Britta? I apologize to any non-community fans that are listening to this section, seeing as I'm leaning heavily on the whole Jillian Jacobs played the character Britta in Community bit. To try and rid themselves of Larry, Britta and co throw all of the screens they own out of the house. Thing is, everything has screens these days. Cars, fridges, I've even seen cards with screens in them. You're gonna have to turn Amish, Britta. Come play isn't anything special. The plot is all over the place. There are multiple points where I was asking myself, what are we even doing? Don't bother with come play. I will give it kudos for having a nonverbal kid as a main character. At least that was something fresh. Consider watching the short it was based on instead. Surprise! Yep, this is another decent short turned mediocre feature. I wish this would stop happening. A spooky five minute idea doesn't need to be stretched into a feature length movie. The short's just called Larry. Go watch the short. Number 5, Bakudao, 2019, directed by Giuliano Dornelas and Kleber Mendoza Failio. There's a huge funeral in a small village in Brazil called Bakudao. The mayor shows up to the village. No one likes him. He leaves. Villagers find a farmer and his family have been killed. Two outsiders that appear to be bikers come to the village. The bikers run into villagers investigating the murders and kill them. The bikers are actually Brazilians working with a bunch of white foreigners that are planning on killing the villagers. They are the ones that killed the farm family. The foreigners kill the two Brazilians. The foreigners then go into town. All except one of the foreigners are killed by the villagers. The villagers imprison the foreigner that was left alive. It turns out the mayor was behind the whole thing. The mayor is stripped and tied to a donkey. The mayor, two Brazilians, and the white foreigners are the killers. Obama put Bakudao on his favorite movies of the year list. Bakudao is a trip. Before jumping into the movie, I read two synopses. Synopses? The internet is telling me that's the plural form of synopsis. They combined said something along the lines of, A documentary filmmaker arrives at a small village where the local matriarch has just died. A flying saucer appears and things get weird. I'm not sure why this combined synopsis from memory says there is a documentary filmmaker there isn't or puts emphasis on a flying saucer as if it's greatly important to the events in the movie it isn't but weird things do happen bakudao starts off as a very real feeling slice of life film there is some weirdness like a crash truck that is transporting coffins but for the most part, the first third of the movie is a genuine look into a tight-knit community in a small village in Brazil. The villagers don't appear to be acting at all. They are completely natural. Their performances are amazing. Eventually, the village badass is introduced, and he's a bit too over-the-top to be real. But at the point he makes his appearance, the cartoonishly evil white foreigners have already been introduced. 
I have to call out the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards here. Udo Kier was nominated for his performance as the completely kooky old white foreigner guy whose performance is full on camp. None of the Brazilians were nominated. The main character in Bakudao truly is the village though, and the movie doesn't really focus on any specific villager outside of the badass who understandably wasn't nominated. A lot of the extras in the movie were actual inhabitants of the real village it was filmed at. I don't know if there are really small villages that have DJs that provide announcements and tunes for everyone, but the DJ character was a ton of fun. If I put on my smart person hat and try to look into the meaning of Bakudao, it seems to showcase the juxtaposition between guns for fun versus guns for survival. The foreigners are gun nuts that want to shoot people for pleasure. The villagers have guns but only use them to protect themselves. When the foreigners finally attempt to invade the village, it's a bit anticlimactic. The villagers dispatch them with ease since they've had to deal with similar situations in the past to survive. There is very little gratuitous violence during the climax, which is surprising because you'd expect every foreigner to get their comeuppance. Only one of the deaths is gory and intense. A foreigner takes a shotgun blast to the face. It's practical and amazing. All of the other foreigners are quickly taken out with barely any gore shown at all. This definitely seems purposeful. Violence isn't the point of the movie. Bakudao isn't glorifying what had to be done. The villagers even try to save one of the foreigners who was trying to kill them after she was shot. Then again, there is this whole subplot about a villager that's a famous hitman with a kill compilation on YouTube that everyone loves, and the badass character does decapitate all the foreigners and showcase their heads. Bakudao is a thought-provoking movie that's all about how a tight community will take care of each other. It's intriguing and surreal. Seek this one out if you're in the mood for something unusual. Number 6, Blood Quantum, 2019, directed by Jeff Barnaby. The dead are coming back to life. Indigenous people are the only ones that seem to be immune to becoming zombies. A native guy named Lysol decides to purposely allow a bunch of people to get infected after his Johnson is bitten off by a zombie. Lysol and his followers keep killing people. Lysol's brother Joseph stabs him. Joseph has a pregnant non-native girlfriend that was bitten because of Lysol's actions. Lysol is eaten by zombies. Joseph, his girlfriend, and his mom get in a boat. The baby is born, and Joseph has to kill his girlfriend after she turns. Lysol, his followers, and zombies are the killers. What do you do when the dead are coming back to life and native people are immune to turning into zombies? Make a big compound to keep your community safe, including non-natives that show up. Oh, and when people that could possibly be infected show up at the compound, just ask them if they've been bitten. No one will lie about whether or not a living ghoul's chompers have penetrated their skin. Don't worry about a quarantine period or inspecting new arrivals for bites. It's all good. Zone of Truth has been cast right outside the gate. No one's gonna fib. Obviously, someone withholds the information that they were bitten, which somehow leads to the most volatile person in the compound, Lysol. Yeah, his nickname is Lysol for some reason, to get his ding-dong bitten off. Lysol was looking for any reason to kill all the non-natives, so when Mr. Happy goes missing, Lysol transforms into Mr. Angry. He was always... Mr. Angry, to be honest. Lysol is a cartoonishly evil character. 
that's in a completely different movie than everyone else. Kiowa Gordon played Lysol, and his performance wouldn't be bad if everyone else matched his energy, but since he's the only one that's hamming it up, he sticks out in a negative way. The other acting, whew, it's rough. The worst actor by far is Michael Grayeyes, who plays Trailer, one of the main characters and father to half-brothers Lysol and Joseph. Gray Eye's performance reminded me of Neil Breen. If you don't know who that is, he's like Tommy Wiseau if Tommy kept making movies and never became even the slightest bit self-aware. I haven't actually seen any of Breen's masterpieces myself, but have seen reviews from others that have. Almost all of the characters in Blood Quantum are unlikable or bland, except one lone swordsman. Well... He ends up going out in a blaze of glory by himself, but he's mostly part of a group during the movie. Group Swordsman Stone Horse Lone Goman plays the amazing katana-wielding grandpa, Jizigu. Jizigu's love for Japanese culture is never explained, but he was definitely a huge weeb. Jizigu, the no-nonsense Native American samurai, he's a complete badass and the only character you'll want to root for. If not him, who are you supposed to like? Joseph the Bridge Pooper? There's a whole subplot about Joseph being in jail for climbing up a bridge and dropping a stinker on a moving car. His aim was honestly impressive. You only have so much ammo to shoot out of your cheek cannon. Like pretty much every zombie movie ever, Blood Quantum is about how humans are the real monsters. It's boring and played out. There are some neat to look at practical gore effects. The zombie makeup is well done. Pet warning, a dead dog turns into a zombie dog and has to be put down. It's not that disturbing. Blood Quantum doesn't do anything new or interesting. If you like zombie movies like I like slashers, consider checking it out. But if you're once hell is full the dead'll walk the earth out, don't bother with this one. I thought that the Native Americans being immune to zombification would lead to some unique new ideas, but it barely affects anything. The representation is cool at least. Number 7, Mortal Kombat 1995 versus Mortal Kombat 2021. I recently watched these two Mortal Kombat movies for the first time ever. I'm a big fighting game fan, but Netherrealm games are booty butt cheeks, so I don't play them and don't really know all that much about Mortal Kombat lore. I know character names and that's about it. While watching the 2021 movie, throughout almost the entire thing, I thought the main character was going to turn into Scorpion. He does not. Instead, he turns into Plot Armor Boy. I didn't recognize that character and it turns out he's an original made for the movie. If you were making a movie about an established franchise, Maybe you shouldn't create your own character to be the protagonist instead of already using ones that exist. Just an idea. Since I didn't know that the character was made up for the movie during my viewing, I didn't really care all that much about that fact. Is OC Boy an absolutely bland and garbage character? Yeah, you better believe it. Was OC Boy so heinous that I hated the movie as a whole? The internet would lead you to believe yes. The internet hated this movie. But since I went into the Mortal Kombat movie with negative expectations, Mr. OC didn't ruin the movie for me. 2021 is stupid and entertaining. 
It has some fun, gory fatalities. Kano steals all the scenes he's in. The some humans are chosen and can access secret magic abilities was a good inclusion to explain why some mortals are able to do crazy stuff. Was I bummed that there wasn't a tournament? Yeah, but it's okay. If a sequel is made, it'll probably be a big fat tournament, baby. The internet kept saying that the 1995 movie was way better, so I checked it out. Y'all need to take off those nostalgia glasses. 1995 is garbage. It's barely bad good. It does have a teeny tiny bit of fun in it, and it's easy to laugh at all the ridiculous acting and dialogue, but it drags hard and isn't even rated R. I don't remember seeing any blood in the 1995 version, which is ironic. I do appreciate the insane practical sets in 1995, though. Lots of money must have been raised to create that dumpster. Verdict. Both movies are bad, but 2021 is much more entertaining if you don't have deep-seated nostalgia for 1995. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 96, Hungry Witches, Deadly Houses, and Larry. If you dig what you heard, consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. There will be a few more Fangoria Chainsaw Award nominees on the next episode, but it'll also have some other stuff. Episode 97 will be out on May 16th. Until then, make sure to heavily inspect anyone you're allowing into your compound during a zombie apocalypse. The TSA is usually more invasive than the people screening newbies for bites. No one is going to call you a pervert for a thorough bite inspection when a single nibble spells destruction for the entire compound.